0: take your bibles if you would the book of jude right uh, very end of the bible is the book of revelation right before that's so a one chapter book of jude as you know uh, before the christmas season began there we were preaching through the book of jude and uh, we stopped with verse 11 so we're going to pick up where we left off tonight i'd like us to begin by reading verse 12 and verse 13 So again, the book of Jude, we're reading verse 12 and verse 13. And we'll read that together, reading it out loud, and then we'll have a word of prayer. Let's start there in verse number 12. These are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds. Trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, again, we thank you for each one that's here. We trust that you're here. And Lord, we welcome you to be in charge of this service and this message. Lord, so many years ago, Jude wrote this letter, and the whole letter is a warning. And it's really a warning appropriate to these days before the Lord comes back. And for, Lord, I pray you'd help us. Uh, direct your words. May we gain something from this tonight as we look into what Jude wrote. Help us, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, you know that uh, on Sunday nights, other than that little Christmas break, we've been looking at the book of Jude. And Jude is the second last book in our Bible. It's not the second last book by accident. Now, it wasn't the second last book that was written, but God put it in this pers- position, Preacher. Why? The very last book is Revelation. Revelation talks about the fact that the Lord's coming back. We know He's coming back in the rapture, seven year tribulation after that. Then our Lord comes down to the earth, and for the next thousand years, there is a 1,000 year reign called the millennium. The book of Jude is placed right before Revelation because we are given a warning of what's going to happen in churches before the Lord comes back. And we've already seen this, so none of that is new to you, but uh, uh, Jude wasn't planning to write about this. According to verse number 3, he was planning to write about the common salvation. God changed his mind. And what he began to write about, look there, if you would, in uh, verse number three, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And say, why is it so important, Jude, that we contend for it? Because in the next verses he talks about the fact that in the last days, there will be those that work their way into churches and they'll try to change those churches. And here he said, you better contend for the faith that has been held to so long. And so we've been looking at that thought. And they say, preached, what are we looking at tonight? We're in tonight in verse 12 and 13. And if I could say it this way, he is now describing these enemies of a church that sometimes are in a church And he's using word pictures to describe what they are while they're in the church. Preacher, what's a word picture? A word picture is a descriptive way of explaining something so you can visualize it in your mind. If if someone asked you this question, uh, how's the weather outside? You wouldn't say at this time of year, not certainly here, but uh, you could say it's very hot. Well, that's an answer. It's an answer to question. But if you said this, it is so hot that you could fry an egg on the pavement. That's a word picture. When someone gives you that answer, you're just tempted to find an egg, get one from Mrs. Wilson, and uh, take it out in the pavement, and you'd fry it. You probably wouldn't eat it. But it's a word picture. Uh, if someone said to you, well, how were so-and-so's children today? Uh, you could say, well, they were a little wild. You could say that. But, you know, if you said, you know, they were bouncing off the walls and swinging from the chandelier, especially if you don't have chandeliers, that's a word picture. And so here what Jude is doing, he's already given us a number of heads up what these who would try to change the churches before the Lord comes back. Now he's going to give us some word pictures to describe what they're like when they're in the church. And so if you're taking notes tonight, My message, word word pictures describing enemies in every church. Word pictures describing enemies in every church. So it would be true for our church, any other church that you've ever been, that you've tuned into. This, This isn't exclusive to us. Jude said, this will be true before the Lord comes back. Look at the very first word picture, Jude verse 12. Jude verse number 12. These are spots in your feasts of charity. You know the first word picture? He said there's spots. Now, you know what a spot is. First, he says there are spots in your feasts. Uh, A feast is more than just a meal. Uh, I think most of us have three meals a day, Uh, maybe some have four or five. Uh, The word feast isn't just describing a meal. Uh, The word feast, on the other hand, describes some elaborate meal. Could I say the word banquet? Uh, Where everything is tidy and everything is clean. Everything is decorated just perfectly. Tablecloths on the table, candles in the centerpiece, finest of china, cutlery shining, crystal drinking glasses. That's the kind of feast that he's describing. And uh, if you have ever been to a place like that, you know, everybody attends, everybody from the head table all the way to those that are sitting in regular tables, uh, they're dressed in their finest. And maybe, ladies, you have hosted a feast like that. Uh, This is a fancy thing. Do you know the very first word picture he gives of these that are enemies of a church and enemies in a church? He said, they're spots in a feast. Now, quite honestly, to most of us men, we couldn't care less. You know what? We'd sit down at a table and we might have a tie and have half our pizza on a tie, as we call it a pizza tie. Uh, it, it wouldn't bother us at all. But your wife would look at you, honey, change that tie. And if it's a banquet, <laughs> honey, I'm a bear kid. Do you mind sitting at the other table? That, a spot... In a banquet is an absolute eyesore. Why? It doesn't belong. It doesn't fit in. It doesn't blend with the rest of the environment. It actually is an eyesore to the rest of the environment. Do you know what God's intention for we that are in a church is that we all be of the same mind, that we all speak the same thing. Uh, In the book of Acts, which of course is the history of the early church, how many times do we read in Acts this statement that they were all of one accord? And that's God's plan for a church. God's plan is that a church be a body, that a church be a family, that a church work together, that the church endeavor to accomplish the same things, And uh, that was so key in the early book of Acts, Acts 1, 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Acts 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They were not only in one place. They were all working together. That's what that one accord is. Acts chapter number 2 and verse 46 and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple says and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart that's that's god's plan for a church it's not people doing their own thing running their own agenda having their own little clique within the church god's plan is for a church to work together When somebody in a church is not working together, when they have their own plan, when they have their own desire, when they have their own direction, you know what Jude said, it's like a spot in a feast of charity. Ladies, you don't want a spot anywhere on that feast. You don't want a spot on the drapes. You don't want a spot on the tableware. You don't want a spot on the tablecloth. You don't want a spot in your dress. You don't want a spot on your husband's suit. You finally got him in one. You don't want a spot on that. Jude says this. You know, one of the descriptions of an enemy in a church, they just, they just don't blend in. They've got their own plan. They've got their own agenda. And could I say they like it that way? They really have no desire to be in one accord. Uh, they don't have des- any desire to be of the same mind. All the churches that Paul wrote to, he talked about how important it is to be of the same mind, one mind. Uh, Romans 12, 16, be of the same mind one toward another. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you per- be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Uh, Philippians 2 and verse 2, Fulfill ye my joy, Paul says, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Philippians three sixteen. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Now, folks, if, if, if you move to another city, and uh, you start visiting churches, I hope you would, to find a church. Uh, You're gonna go in a church and you're gonna make a decision, either I can work with these people, either I can be like-minded and get on board and work with them so that together, we as a family can get the work of God done. Or you can say, I'm not of the same mind as these people. I, I would trust that some churches that maybe you'd step in, uh, you'd walk out and say, no, 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 I, I, That, forget it. They correct the Bible. They don't have any convictions. Anything goes. Uh, a lot of hanky-panky going on there. I would hope that you would turn on your heels and walk away and say, I cannot be a part of something like that. Because, folks, if you join a church, God's plan is that you be like-minded. Do you know what it says, Jude said here, the very first word picture of an enemy within a church, and if you're taking notes, the first description is they defile as spots in a feast. You don't want to be a spot. Now, if you're a dog, maybe you would be excited about being called spot. But if you're a person, if you're a member of a church, you don't want to be a spot. You don't want to stand out different than everyone else. You don't want to have a different plan. You don't want to have a different goal. Do you know that there's some folks in churches that they just have a way of drawing attention to themselves because they're different, because they want to be different. Uh, You know what? If there's an expected time to arrive, they're late. If there's an expected door to enter for the banquet, they come in another door. If there's an expected clothing to wear, well, they on purpose wear something different. If there's a time for everybody at a banquet to stand out of recognition for some, maybe it's a, a retirement banquet, and, and it's time for everybody to stand out of recognition for this. Spots don't stand. Well, I don't have to stand. You can't make me stand. You understand that, that kind of attitude stinks. Because that kind of attitude isn't we're a team. We work together. We're united. Very first word picture he gives is of these that are spots in feasts. Uh, You know, when you think of that word spot, uh, at least when I think of that word spot, uh, back there in the Old Testament, Leviticus 13, 14, we won't turn to it. But in Leviticus 13 and 14, Moses wrote about the plague of leprosy. And we don't much deal with that in our days, certainly not this part of the world. But that plague of leprosy, nobody wanted that. Everybody was afraid of that. Do you know how leprosy started? It started as a spot. In fact, uh, again, we won't turn to it, but Leviticus 13 and verse number 2, it starts as a bright spot. Well, that means spot is a negative. You don't want to be that kind of spot, certainly not in the realm of leprosy. Do you know what they would do with somebody that had a spot? They wouldn't let them stay within the community of that nation of Israel. They would set them outside of that camp. Why? Because they didn't want the spot of one spreading to two, to four, to eight, to ten, to twenty. He is saying these are are the enemies within a church that just can't fit in, have no desire to be a part of the team, have their own agenda, And like it that way you can't continue to let them have a leading voice and a statement and persuade others well pastor I just feel sorry for somebody like that feel sorry for a spot who likes to be different who cannot work with the rest of the crowd and it won't be long before there's one spot there's two and two spots and there's four As a church, we are always wanting people to come and visit. But folks, we just don't want another body sitting in a chair. We want somebody who wants to be of the same mind, wants to be going the same direction, wants to help as a team to get the work of God done. I see the very first word picture he gives is those that defile as spots in a feast Uh, We not only uh, give a heads up about the negative connotation of a spot in leprosy. Do you know, in Numbers chapter 28, we find the kind of sacrifices that those Jews were to bring to God. And in the sacrifices, it said they were supposed to bring an offering without spot. They couldn't just bring any lamb. They couldn't just bring any calf. They couldn't just bring any goat. They couldn't just bring any bullock. They were clearly told that you need to bring a sacrifice that's without spot. God was looking for something that was better than those that were marked with a spot. I say to you that God's still looking for that. And you know when you get to Hebrews 9.14, we know that Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary for you and for me. It says in Hebrews 9.14 about Christ. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, offered himself without spot? Our Lord had no spot. Our Lord had no blemish. And that's why his sacrifice was acceptable to God. Folks, in our church, our unity ought to be without spot. Our sacrifices to God ought to be without spot. Our service to God ought to be without spot. And make no mistake, God wants the church to be spotless. But enemies in the church are okay being spots in the church. Well, I have a right to do this. No. It's not your feast. It's God's feast. It's not my church. It's God's church. You don't have a right to do what you want to do and that's what Jude said. These enemies of a church, incidentally, look there again at verse number 12. Uh, these are spots in your feasts of charity. And not only do they push their agenda in your feast. keep reading, when they feast with you, but they're eating your food. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Uh, folks, we have a food line every Sunday night. And you know what, short of you having prepared all the food, I don't think anyone here has done that. So unless you've prepared all the food, you're walking in there, or am I walking in there, boy, we have, ought to have the attitude, praise the Lord, Boy, this is pretty good food. And, wow, this is great. You don't have a right to pick apart and criticize and be critical of what somebody else has prepared for you. And yet, that's exactly what these are spots. So the very first word picture, again, are those that defile, they are as spots in a feast. Uh, Beware of somebody, if you would, about that. Second word picture, look there again at Jude verse 12. It says, these are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Secondly, clouds, they are without water. So not only an enemy in a church is described as a spot, and that's the last thing you want in a feast. Uh, the second thing is they're described as a cloud. Now, I'm not a farmer. Imagine if I were a farmer that had labored to plant seed in the field. You know that after you plant the seed in the field, you are hoping for, you are praying for rain and uh, how many places across our country and and around this world, uh, they talk about they haven't had rain for 300 days, and some haven't had sufficient rain for years. In a situation like that, when a cloud shows up, do you know a farmer gets excited? He thinks, wow, here we go, finally, it's come. But if that cloud shows up that you are looking for it to provide some rain to help you get your job done, and then the wind just carries that cloud over and it hasn't dropped any rain, what a disappointment. Could I say the second word picture that Jude gives of these that are enemies in the church, he talks about they disappoint as clouds without water. You know, in a church that God places you, and for us it's here, in the church that God has placed you, God expects for you to help provide something for the betterment of that church. God expects you to contribute. Now, yes, that would apply to finances, but so much more. And I'm saying to you that if you are a cloud in your church that never provides, you have the ability to do something for God, but you're just sitting back watching everybody else do it. Folks, that's a disappointment. God doesn't want you to be that. God doesn't, I have to say this carefully lest someone get the wrong idea, God doesn't want you to come week after week after week after week after week And always take it in. God wants you as you come, Lord, how can I help? What can I do? How can I be a part of the great work of God? How can I help what others have already done for it to be fruitful and bear a crop and and please the Lord? You know, not only are enemies in a church, not only have we already seen that enemies in a church are like spots, Boy, they just kind of stand out, and and they don't blend in, they they just got their own agenda. Secondly, we find that they're like clouds, and they're like clouds without water. Uh, There is an application of that over in Proverbs, won't turn to it, but... Whoso boasteth himself of a false gift is like clouds and wind without rain. You you don't want a cloud. I I know that some people, they like a cloud for shade. And there's a point in that. But if you're a farmer, you're looking for more than shade. You're looking for rain. You're looking for some water. And if that cloud comes through and it never... Provides. It's just uh, uh, an ornament of beauty. Folks, we're not here just to be ornaments of beauty. We are here to help provide. And I'm saying to enemies in the church, they're always on the receiving end, they're always on the taking end. They're not looking to roll up their sleeves. Uh, maybe you've been gifted. Remember, we talked about those with a gift. Maybe you've been gifted to sing. I've not. <laughs> But Some of you have. man, you can sing it, it knocks the socks off of us. It's not that bad, it's that good. Do you sing for God? Well, no, I don't. Why. That's a cloud without rain. Maybe you have been gifted with the ability to preach. God's given us some men that are great preachers. Probably God's given us some women that are preachers. We just we're not ready for that yet. If you've been given the ability to preach, do you preach? Well, no. (laughs) Why not? Some of you have the ability to teach. Man, you could take a very basic Bible truth and you can make it come alive. Are you doing that? Well, no. You know, that's a cloud that God has created. Men can't make clouds. I'm sure they're experimenting somewhere to try it. God makes clouds. God's made you with something that you can provide to be a blessing in other people's lives but if you never drop that gift, if you never share that gift, if you never encourage somebody with that gift, that's really an enemy of the church. It doesn't say to here, Peter warned of the same thing, and when Peter warned it, he didn't say clouds without water. Peter talked about wells without water. And I got thinking that. it didn't really work in the message, so we're going to just you know fly by the seat of our pens on this, but Do you know the difference between a cloud that can provide water and a well that can provide water? A cloud God made. A well man made. Shame on any of us if we're a cloud that God made us and we keep all that rain to ourselves. Shame on us. God gave it to help. But think about a well without water. Do You know, I, I've never dug a well. And I know machinery can do much of that now. I imagine the olden days, that's older than me. Imagine the olden days, some men, they started with flat ground and they, I can't imagine the amount of work that was necessary hauling all of that dirt out until they finally got to a place where they reached water. And hopefully they had a rope tied to their waist or they're gone as i'm saying a well is different than a cloud a cloud god has done all the work and enabled that cloud and equipped that cloud with something that could help so many people well a cloud that won't share what it's got to be a blessing as an enemy in the church but what about this well Do you know all of us are the product of the people that we were influenced by? You know, I I preach the way I do because I went to a Bible institute myself. I sat under some teachers that taught me, under some preachers that, that helped formulate my convictions. It would be a tragedy with all of the investment that those people have placed in me to never turn around and use that water that they helped create to be a blessing to somebody else there's people who've been bible college someone invested in you You're, you're sitting under preachers and teachers many of you have all your life sat under preachers and teachers people labored to bring you to the place where you can now be a blessing to so many but if you as peter and second peter i think it's chapter 2 if you're a well without water what a what a disappointment that is on all of those that invested to bring you to this place that's a word picture and I say to you, I believe this, and, and I'm criticized for believing this. I believe every single person in a church and married person, every person in a church, God has equipped you to do something. What are you doing? Or are you a cloud that could? But you're keeping all that to yourself. You're a well People have labored, and you're keeping that all to yourself. That's the second word picture. Mind somebody. It just won't help. You say, preacher, I, I don't think my talents are that great. Could I suggest to you if God gave them? They're great. And if you're despising, the Bible says in Zechariah 4.10, for who hath despised the day of small things. There's no telling what every church, including this church, what every church could accomplish more if people that God gifted with ability would just use it for God. I see well, preacher, you think that me using my gift into my church would really help? Sure, well, could I give you three things, and then we'll get to the next one. Do you know by you using your gift in your church, one, it'll keep you busy for the Lord. And uh, it'll help your church to go forward and accomplish more. Uh, Do you understand that if you don't use the gift that God's given you, that people have invested to help you develop, do you know somebody else has to do that task? I know that one man can do ten jobs. But Charles Spurgeon, great preacher in London many years ago, he said, one man can do ten jobs. But ten men can do ten jobs better. Uh, thank God for some of you that do three and four and five things. Wouldn't it be great if three and four, five people each took one of those things and said, I, I could do that. One, it'll keep you busy. You'll use that gift God's gift. Two, it'll keep you from being critical. Oftentimes the criticism in a church is from the people that aren't doing anything. And they're sitting back and dissecting the people that are trying. Preacher, why is it so important that I use my gift? One, it'll keep you busy in your church. Church will accomplish more. Two, it will keep you from being critical. It'll keep you... Listen, we that are in the field want more people in the field. If a farmer tells one worker... You don't go home till it's done. <laughs> well, don't you think that worker's happy if someone of the worker comes in the field? Sure they are. if two more, three more, four more can't. We that are trying to get the work of done God done would be thrilled if more came to help. You say, I can't do the same amount. Don't worry about that. Preacher, why should I use my gift in the church? Why should I deliver rain, deliver water? One, it'll keep you busy in your church. Two, it'll keep you from being critical. But you know, the third reason is it'll keep you from wandering and heading down the road. Now, just put some roots down. Paul wrote this in Ephesians chapter number four, verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. He talked about this cloud. Look there again in verse 12. Middle of the verse, second description. Clouds, they are without water, carried about of winds. I just think it's a healthy thing to be rooted in your church, and laboring in your church will help you to stay. I give you a third thing. I'm trying to give word pictures that Jude gives. I'll look there at the very end of verse 12. Trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. So the first word picture is a spot at the feast. Second word picture is a cloud without water. Uh, The third word picture is a tree without fruit. Now, this is going to be a difficult question for you, but I think you could do it. If you walked up to a fruit tree, what would you expect to get from a fruit tree? Fruit. Of course you would. Uh, if your stomach is gurgling, like some are even now smelling popcorn, uh, if your stomach was gurgling and you went to a counter of a store, you went, you went to a, a fruit tree, and there was no fruit, what a disappointment. Here again, you're expecting something from it. And it doesn't have it. It could. It should. Uh, One day Jesus walked by a fig tree. It had leaves but no figs. And the Lord was so disappointed with that fig tree, he cursed it. And within just a few days, that tree withered up and it was gone. Could I say the third thing about uh, an enemy in the church is they're like a tree without fruit. Fruit. Your life, God created to bear fruit. Your lips ought to encourage fruit. And if they're not encouraging fruit, that's a great disappointment to God. Hebrews 5.12, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again of the first principles of the oracles of God. Well, preacher, I'm not too worried about not producing fruit for God. It doesn't bother me. I'm happy with my life. You understand that uh, it might not bother you now. But one day it might come to the place where you want to produce fruit. And you can't. You can't. Um, I said I can't sing and I can't sing. Do uh, you know when I was 16... I used to sing with my sister and my mom. We had a trio. Uh, we we're pretty good. We're not pretty good anymore. You better sing while you can sing. You better preach while you can preach. You better teach while you can teach. If you're good with children, you ought to do it while you can. There is going to come a day where you can't a tree that God designed to uh, produce fruit. There might come a day where that tree cannot produce fruit anymore. We have a lot of liberties in this country. Do you know those liberties are slowly closing up? Better do it while we can. We At this point, it's still okay to knock on a door. At this point, it's still okay to hold up a scripture sign. At this point, it's still okay to put a gospel track in a mailbox. We have no idea how long until those doors are closed. We better do it while we can. Pastor, I've got lots of time. Well, look again at verse number uh, number 12. It says, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. That tree is not producing any more fruit because it can't. I say to you, the third thing about an enemy of the church, it's like a tree without fruit. God's plan is that every Christian bear fruit. I think there ought to be the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. I think there ought to be the fruit of winning lost souls to Christ. I think we ought to produce the fruit of righteousness and holiness and the fruit of thankfulness. God planned for every Christian to bear fruit. Jesus said this to the apostles. He said this over in John chapter 15, verse 16. Jesus said to these apostles, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you to go, I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. Do you have fruit in your life? I give you a fourth thing. Look there in Jude verse 13. Not only have we seen that these are enemies in the church, they're, they're like spots, they just stand out. They, they, they don't blend in. They just stand out. Uh, second thing, these that are uh, enemies in the church, they're like clouds. They have been equipped to be a help to others. But they're keeping it all themselves. That third thing, they are like a tree that bears no fruit. Uh, fourth thing is, uh, look there in Jude verse 13. Raging waves of the sea. Now I understand that for we in the winter time, the thought of going to a warmer place, like Arizona or like Florida, it's pretty exciting thinking about that, Pastor. I could just imagine being on the beach of Florida or Cuba or I was going to say Haiti. I don't know if you'd be safe there. Um you know some boat waves just lapping up on the shore? They're just flowing back. boys. preacher, that that is such a wonderful picture. He is not describing enemies in a church like gentle waves that just encourage and just refresh. Look what he says in verse 13. The fourth word picture he gives is raging waves. Folks, this isn't just a gentle little wave coming on the shore. This is a raging wave. This is the kind that tosses ships on the ocean up and down, and those that are on those ships fear for their life. That's the kind of thing that's a word picture of an enemy in the church. Now, you know what a wave does? A wave just kind of, uh, if it's a gentle one, it just kind of strolls to the shore and strolls back. Do you know if it's a raging wave? You know what it does? It digs up everything under there and stirs it up. Have you ever been to some of these resorts? I've seen pictures. <laughs> some of these beautiful resorts the beautiful lakes. You can look down there and you can see five feet down. You can see everything down there. Because it's just calm and just peaceful. But you go to a place where there are raging waves, you can't see three inches down there because everything down there has been stirred up. Do you know the fourth-word picture of enemies in a church? Fourth-word picture is as raging waves of the sea. They're always digging something up. They're always stirring something up. They're they're always reminding people of something that's happened in the past. They're always throwing people's failures up in their faces. They're always making the water muddy. Folks, every one of us has enough in our past that could shame us till the day the Lord takes us home. I think that would be an honest thing. If you are spotless and without sin, I'd like to shake your hand after the service. All of us have something in our past. Aren't you glad that the blood of Jesus Christ covers our sins? You know what the devil tried to use to stop the great apostle Paul? Is past God said it's all under the blood God clears so where the devil could have used Peter and that denial at that fireside to keep Peter from ever doing anything again Jesus said Peter it's forgiven let's just let it lie Do you know the fourth picture of an enemy of the church is there like a raging wave of the sea, always digging it up, always bringing it up, always reminding people of what that woman was like 20 years ago, that man was like 30 years ago? You are an enemy of the church. You're hurting people. You're damaging people's lives. I'm saying to you, God's in the forgiving business. The devil is the accuser of the brethren. You'd just be best to let those things go. I know that some of the technology that we now have has made our work a little easier. Somehow it's not given us any more time, but it's made our work easier. I'm not convinced that social media... is a great blessing. Because I think some people are using that just to be a raging wave to dig up all of the past that God's put under the blood. I say, well, preacher, I I need it. I need it. Uh, I won't argue with you tonight. I think it's hurting more people than it's helping. I think the devil's using it just to accomplish the devil's work he's the accuser of the brethren some people are what we call the grapevine of the church they got to hear something now as soon as they hear it they got to tell it and i could name some people but it would hurt somebody if i named them there are some people in every church that they are they never roll up their sleeves to help get the work of god done But they're and I know that's not a phone anymore, but but they're constantly on the phone. Did you hear about? Did you hear what he said? Did you hear what she did? Did you hear what they're doing? That is a raging wave that hurts a church. And yet that's what some people do. You couldn't get them to help a ministry. For some reason, that's become their ministry. I'm saying to you, the fourth are raging waves of the sea. The Bible says a raging wave picture is something that can't settle down. It's what causes ships that are loaded with cargo crossing a mighty ocean to capsize and lose all that cargo. A raging wave is something that always stirs things up. It isn't satisfied with being at rest. Raging waves are always stirring up the muck and stirring up the mire. So you can't see the bottom. Raging waves are always trying to bring those things that God would let settle down. So that there is just a peace and a calm. That's an enemy of the church. If you're spending more time on the horn (coughs) hearing or telling some new thing, you probably could wisely use your time better. You know, Paul said about the Athenians, Acts 17, 21, For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Be careful about those raging waves. When some past deed has been dealt with and put under the blood, stay away from those that are always trying to dig it up, always trying to circulate it around. See old preacher, that young people, that young person—they messed up, but they got their heart right. Give them a chance to go forward. A oh, preacher, that woman, do you know what she was involved in many years ago? She got her heart right. Give her a chance to go forward for God. Raging waves of the sea refer to people who think it's their God-appointed duty to keep alive and keep stirring what God has buried. When you find somebody like that, I want you to know they're an enemy of the church. I'll give you the last thing. We're done with this. Look there in Jude, verse 13. Pastor, these enemies in the church, what word pictures did Jude use? Well, they're like spots in a feast. Just stick out like a sore thumb. They don't blend in. They're like clouds without water. They could provide. They just don't. They're, They're like a tree without fruit. They're like raging waves of the sea, always stirring something up. Finally, look there at the end, of if you would, at verse number 13. It says there, wandering stars. To whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. The last word picture is a wandering star. Now, I, I confess to you, I, I, I don't know anything about stars. Uh, um, <laughs> that's pretty bad. It's just not been top of my priority. Uh, People I, I understand that are shipmen that are on the sea. I know they have all these electronic gadgets and GPS and all the rest of that, but they used to plot their direction by the stars. They would look at stars that are always in the same place and they would set their direction according to fixed stars. This isn't talking about Somebody in a church that's a fixed star. last picture is they're a wandering star. One day they're here, the next day they're there. One day they're encouraged, the next day they're discouraged. One day they're happy with their life, the next day they're angry with God about their life. You know, the problem with a wandering star is shipmen don't make their plans according to wandering stars. And you know, God wants your life to be such a consistent beacon that others around you can make decisions in their life because they've seen what those decisions have helped you to accomplish. Always there. Always true to God. Always the same but here's a wandering star. And you say, well, Pastor, last night I saw a shooting star. <laughs> oh, so great. And you won't see it tonight. It's not great tonight. It's not great next week, next month, next year. Do You know, God wants you to be steady, eddy, <laughs> fixed, true, consi- so consistent that others can set their direction." And they're helped because you're always, always there. And now you're going to say, Preacher, that's because you're a pastor. Do you know what? I'm always here. <laughs> so you have to because you're a pastor. Do uh, you know you should always be here? I think every time the doors are open in church, you should always be here. The preacher, that message wasn't specifically helpful to me. Yeah, but weren't you glad you're here? So you could watch out and help someone else. I think every day you ought to read your Bible. I believe that. I believe every day. I am uh, still trying to get God's direction on Wednesday nights. We finished Jonah there in November. And as I reading my Bible this morning, uh, Lord, uh, Wednesday's coming up again. And Lord said, then I want you to preach that." God gave me a whole message this morning. I'm excited about preaching on Wednesday. Do you know what? I wouldn't have got that if I hadn't opened. I've been preaching for 30 plus years. But I need God's help today. I need God's direction today. And I'm getting it from a Bible that never changes. I'm saying to you that God wants you to be a star, a consistent, always in the sky, always there, always shining. But enemies in the church, they're not always there. They're here. They're there. They're up. They're down. And people cannot use you as a coordinate to help them in their life. If you're a star that's always there, God bless you. That's what the church needs. But if you're there next week you're not. If you're up and the following month you're not. That's a wandering star. I, I I'm done with this. You know that uh, there was a, one winter, there was a nine-year-old boy. His name was Frank. Frank liked to spend time with his uncle. Uncle had a farm. Well, it was wintertime. Went to visit his uncle. His uncle said to nine-year-old Frank, I want you to walk with me across the snow-covered field, and we're going to get to the other side. His uncle was one of these no-nonsense guys, didn't mess around. So the two of them set out from the same place, from the farm. And the two of them finally reached the other end of the field. But that uncle turned his nephew, Frank, around and he said, look back at both of our paths. Well, the uncle had a path that was just as straight as an arrow from the farm to the end of that field. Little Frank... (laughs) Frank went there, and Frank went over there, and Frank went over where the creek was frozen over, and then Frank went over to the fence, and Frank went over there. And that uncle, again, no-nonsense uncle, he said, now, you know, you took a whole lot more steps than I did, but you didn't accomplish as much as I did. There was a lot of wasted steps and a lot of wasted time. And you face some trouble in that meandering path that you had. Folks, as Christians, God wants from the point that we trust Christ as Savior for it to be a straight path to that place called heaven. He doesn't want time wasted, meandering in this world. He said to his nephew Frank, he said, Frank, if if someone were going to choose which path they would follow, you think they'd choose your path or mine. Frank was only nine. He said, I guess it would make sense that they follow yours. If you're a star, you're always there. Always, always, always. You're going to be a great help to other people but if you're meandering and wandering all over, people are going to look and say, I can't follow that. I don't even know where they're going. Five-word pictures. First was a spot at a feast. Second, a cloud that never delivered water. Third, a tree that had no fruit. Fourth, a raging wave that's always stirring something up. Fifth, a wandering star. If you or I are any one of those things, God wants to change that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this description of Jude. And Lord, none of us ought to want to justify being any of those things. Lord, we shouldn't want to be a spot. We shouldn't want to push our agenda Help us to work as a team. That was God's plan, that we would be like-minded, speak the same thing. Lord, you have created us to be a cloud that could deliver help to someone else. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't disappoint you. That what you have gifted us with, that we would be a help to others. Uh, Lord, uh, if we're a tree, we're a tree to produce fruit. Help us to produce fruit that's an encouragement to others. Lord, uh, help us not to be a wave. Always digging something up. Help us to learn what it means to be forgiven and to forgive others. And finally, Lord, may we be fixed. May we be certain. May we be stable. May we be steady. And not a wandering star wasting precious days and months and years of her life.